Once a man, twice a child. Here we are at the kickoff and really just kind of scratching the surface this week. So you want to come back each week as we just really examine kind of this subject from different angles and perspectives. So you, you certainly won't get the whole gist of it from just one or two or even three messages. You want to kind of collect all six to get the whole you know, perspective so that we can come to that place where we could be childlike and remain childlike without being childish. And our heart's desire is that we would grow up and not just get old. Anybody with me on that? And John chapter 3 is a perfect place to launch into all of this, because in it, we find Jesus speaking into the subject clearly, perhaps more clearly than he does anywhere else in any of the red letters of the Bible, as he talks about this idea of being, a, of being a, twice a child and, and once a man. And he does so in a conversation to someone who sought him out, a prominent person who sought Jesus out. And this happened uh, all the time, especially as Jesus' popularity began to crescendo, as more and more people wanted to hear him, as more and more people wanted to, to get some FaceTime with him. Um, and uh, this would be all sorts of different people. I mean, literally, you know, people who were famous, people who were nameless, people who had leprosy, people who were, you know, tax collectors. Yes, even contrary to popular belief, people who work for the IRS do have souls. <laughs> Um, but uh, in, in, in their day, you know, they were definitely viewed as, as second-class citizens, and really even worse than that, uh, traitors, because the Roman Empire hired Israelites to work as tax collectors, and after they collected the taxes, they could also take more, as much as they wanted to, on the side. Can you imagine that? And so they were, they were hated by their own people, uh, but, but Jesus would meet with anybody, and Jesus was willing to hang out with everybody, whether you were a, a prostitute, or you were, you were blind, or, or you were you know, a VIP, and the velvet ropes parted for you, or you were, you were nobody. He was willing to, to meet you where you were at and to talk to you and, and move you towards what God wanted for you. He wouldn't shame you for your past, but he also wouldn't uh, ma make you think it was OK to stay there. He would give you the encouragement. He didn't slam down heavy condemnation, but he would move you towards what God wanted for you. And so uh, one of the people who came to speak to him was a, a man named Nicodemus. Everyone say Nicodemus. I think we should bring that name back, any expectant mothers. I don't think we meet en enough Nicodemuses these days. But we, fee we find his story in John chapter 3. And uh, here's what it says in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Side note, gross. <laughs> Verse 5, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, 
are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Translation, do you even lift, bro? That's what he said. That's in the Greek. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever lasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Who believes it's a blessing to even have just read what we just read? And Father, we're grateful as we gather as one church for these precious words. They're probably some of the most famous words in the Bible, maybe even some of the most known and memorable words anywhere ever spoken. And yet we're grateful that we believe you have something new you want to speak to our hearts through them. And whether this is our first voyage into John 3 or our 42nd thousand, we we pray you would speak something new to our hearts. Help us to see you in a brand new light. And I pray, God, that the same power that reverberated through Nicodemus's soul as he heard these words spoken to him by your son that night, that that power would be unleashed in our hearts and lives as we listen to you speak to us through them this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees, said together. I heard one time that there are four stages to life, and they are as follows. There's childhood, where you believe in Santa. Then you get a little bit older, and you don't believe in Santa. And then you become a parent, and you become Santa. (laughs) And then the final phase is where you look like Santa. That's the last phase. That's right before the end. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe he is real, and you are him, right? It's like... (laughs) There's probably some truth to that in that we sort of come full circle in a lot of different ways throughout the stages of life. I, I think about how uh, you know, this phrase, once a man, twice a child, conjures up the, the idea that just before the end, it's almost like we go back to the beginning. They call it retrogenesis, and it, it can tragically you know, be a heartbreaking thing to see someone uh, through Alzheimer's really become like a child just before they die. Uh, but in, in many ways, that journey happens even when, when there isn't Alzheimer's. Uh, you, you think about how, you know, as a baby, your big goal in life is to grow teeth, grow hair, you know, grow teeth, grow hair, grow teeth, grow hair. But then right at the end of your life, what do you do? You lose your teeth, you lose your hair, right? So you're <laughs> back to where we started. Uh, this much is certain. Aging is inevitable. Aging is inevitable. It's happening right in front of us in real time for all of us. I got a friend who's been pastoring for over 30 years, and he complains about how good HD technology is getting. He says, he says my church doesn't need to know that much about me as I get older. He's like, if only there had been HD technology when I was young. And it, w- it went the opposite way. The video's quality got worse and worse as, as life went on. 
Um, you know, but the, the truth is, aging, listen, is the universal dilemma. The universal dilemma is that we are moving toward the point of expiration. That's a reality that is inescapable and it's unavoidable. The universal dilemma of aging. And Nicodemus was no stranger to this. In fact, from his own mouth, we know that he was old. He was advanced in years. He said, how, how can I do that? I'm an old man. So what was he wrestling with? He was wrestling with what all of us are wrestling with, and that is that we get old and that we die. And tragically, we often figure stuff out when we're old that would have been great knowledge to have when we were young. And that's why so many old people quip, youth is wasted on the young. By the time I figured it out, I look down, and I'm not looking so hot. That's, that's kind of the irony of life, that while you're young, you don't know what you won't know until you're old. But by then, it'll be too late to do what you would have done when you were young if you would have had what you have when you are old in your head, but you don't have it in your body. And it's like, ah, <laughs> once a man. <laughs> Twice a child, it can be frustrating. Nicodemus was, 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 was wrestling with this, realizing there's less time on the scoreboard than there once was. Now, where are you at with the whole uh, life cycle thing? Where are you at with you know, how long you have? You know, they say life expectancy currently is 78.7 years. Longer for women than it is for men, but seven, it's because men eat more red meat, uh, but 78.7 years. And some of the young people hearing that are like, that's how long? I got forever. That seems like a 1,000. It'll go quicker than you think, Billy. All right? But 78.7 years. And to really get a handle on where you are at today against that, not that there's any guarantee you'll get the full 78.7 years, because some will live 106, and then you know, some will tragically die very young. But, but where it averages out is at 78.7. And to see where you are at today, uh, I came across a study where someone took that figure and boiled it down to a 24-hour clock. So as you look at one day, 24 hours uh, of your life, you can see where you were at. So according to this, if you are today 10 years old, uh, then the time for you is 3 a.m. So beginning at, at midnight, when the clock struck midnight, the day began, tick, 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 you're at 24 hours. It's 3 a.m. if you're 10, and you have until the next midnight. If you're 20 years old, the time is now 6.24 in the morning. Time to get up. You're 20. The alarm clock's going off. You got one day. You have till midnight. And it's 624 in the morning for you. By the time you're 30, look at it. At 30 years old, it's 9 AM. And this is where all the 20-year-olds are just now getting up and go, oh my gosh. <laughs> they should have got up it when they were 20 at 624. But the, isn't that true? But the 20-year-olds at 9 o'clock go, dang it. I, I should have woke up a decade ago. And now it's 9. And I really need to get this thing going. By the time you get to 40 and you're past middle-aged, it's now noon. Huh. And what do the 40-year-olds think? Well, I better get something to eat, right? That's what the 40-year-olds. <laughs> That's funny. It's halfway through. You're halfway through. It's, it's, now, it's now noon. And at 50, at 50, it's 3.18 PM. Dang. You only have till midnight. And it's now 3 o'clock. The school bell has already rung. And it's, it's, middle, it's middle of the afternoon. And how much time you have is till midnight and one day if you're 50. By the time you get to 60, it's 6.22 PM. It should be dinner time. But, but if you're 60, you ate dinner at 4.30. <laughs> so, 
So I don't know where you are at in the, in the spectrum. And of course, you, we can go on from there. But the truth is, all of us have less time in front of us than we would, than we would wish. That is the universal dilemma. Yeah. Life is temporary. Life is fragile. Life is a vapor. We don't just see Nicodemus, though, wrestling with the universal dilemma. We also see him engaged in an age-old quest, an age-old quest. And what is that quest? It's the quest to find and figure out and do whatever it is you're put on this earth to do. And that is truly something that is common to man, that we all kind of lie in bed just thinking like, What's the point? What do I need to do? Like, what is the dragon that I should slay? If I only have one day and at midnight, this all turns back into a pumpkin. What, what am I supposed to do before that's done so that I can finally, at the end of my, end of my life, go, good, peace out, right? And, and be happy with what you did here on this earth. It's an age-old quest to figure that out. Out. And Nicodemus, on his quest, has come to this evening, this evening, speaking to Jesus. He's come to him looking for answers. He's come to him looking for some new teaching. He's come to him looking for a message. He said, you know, we, we've been following you. We've been tracking with you. We, we, and I love that he says we. It's not just me. It's like, I, I need you. It's like, there's a lot of people wondering. And I'm, I, may be one, I may be one of them asking for a friend. You know? <laughs> like he, has, he uses the safety of the plural, right? Says, we've heard a lot about your teachings. And there may be someone I know interested in what you have to say to a person who could be, but is not necessarily me. But is there anything you could say to me that could help me? Now, how, why, why should it just like, whoa, cause us to step back when Nicodemus is coming to Jesus to look for spiritual truth, to look for answers to that gaping hole inside of his heart? That doesn't really phase you unless you understand what clues we have in this passage about exactly who Nicodemus was. Now, if you're taking notes, this text just told us he was highly, highly religious, this dude, this fool had religion, all right? What do you mean? I mean, he was one of the Pharisees, which meant he was in a rarefied club of only 6,000 members. There were only 6,000 Pharisees on the face of the earth. Now, you had Jews. You had followers of the God of the Bible who, who worshiped the God who made the heavens and the earth and not the surrounding you know, pagan deities that the, the people that were around them worshiped. In, in, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire had, had myriad gods that were worshiped. And going back, there were always people who worshiped the moon and worshiped the sun and worshiped sex and worshiped wine. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, we worship our shoes nowadays. How ridiculous have we, like, we're judging them for worshiping sex. We, we literally worship, like, the newest drop, right? Oh, my God, I got to get them. 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 People get murdered for their shoes in this day and age that we live in because we're so advanced. Anyhow, um, so uh, Nicodemus was a Jew, but not just any Jew. He was like Jew 2.0 rated R edition, right? That's what the Pharisees were. Uh, the nickname of the Pharisees was separated ones. They took worshiping God so seriously that they wanted to be separate from the world because they didn't want to get any Gentile pagan cooties on them of sinners. This is why the Pharisees would say stuff to Jesus like, bro, did you know that that person who touched you was a sinner? 
She's a full-on sinner. Hey, she's a prostitute. How do you know that? Well, a friend of mine was with her. Last, I mean, I mean, right? So, wait a minute. How? how huh? Interesting, guys. Right? They they would wrap themselves up in their special jackets. Oh, their jackets had tassels hanging on them that they put on like Boy Scouts wear badges every time they kept one of God's laws. They're like, I'm too sexy for my shirt. Putting a tassel on their their robe. And Jesus made Jesus was always making fun of the Pharisees. Like you read the, when you read the New Testament, it's so funny to watch Jesus. Like every time the Pharisees roll in, it's like you hear the Darth Vader theme song kicking in. Like dun 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 dun. dun. He goes, you guys walk and you swing your your your, your tassels funny because they would they would swing their tassels to be to show off how how holy they were. And Jesus is like, why you gotta walk like that? <laughs> why why are you swinging your tassels like like why are you, why are you always swinging your tassels when you walk through the market? And they would pray and do funny stuff like beat their beat their breast on how holy they were. And they would they would pray and be like, I'm so good, God, you're lucky to have me, right? He, Jesus is like, fool, you you probably think this song is about you. And um, he's always mocking the Pharisees. And Nicodemus, he was one of them. That means he was an ultra elite of the elite. He was the Navy SEALs of religious people, one of only 6,000. But he didn't just have religion. He also, listen to me, had relationships. Dude was hooked up and connected. His LinkedIn profile was jacked, all right? And quit emailing me about that. I don't want to be on LinkedIn, all right? But, but he, he was. How do you know that? Because he was, in the first, first couple of sentences, we heard he's a ruler of the Jews. Now, you could just blaze right past that and miss that this is telling you he was one of 71. One of 71? Yeah. He was a part of something called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like their equivalent of the Supreme Court. Now, how do you get a seat in the Supreme Court? You've got to have relationships you know, to, the, to the guilts, right? I mean, you have, to, you have to know the right people, be born into the right family. Doesn't hurt to have the last name Kennedy, you know, stuff like that. It, it, you, all of a sudden now, you've you got that, that blue blood thing going on. And all of a sudden, you're members of the right clubs, and you know the right people, you know the right hands to shake. Every city's got movers and shakers. In every community, there are the kings of the city, et cetera. So Nicodemus obviously knew the right people. That's how he was not just one of 6,000. He was also one of 71 now. It's getting more exclusive. Why was there always seven? That way there can never be a, a, a tie. There was always the tie-breaking vote. God told Moses, who started it off, pick 70, and you have that 71st vote so that it, it can't ever be a stalemate or, or a cat's game. And so Nicodemus was one of the rulers of the Jews. Right relationships, that homie had. But he also had riches. Riches. According to rabbinical tradition, <laughs> the first time I've ever said that, felt great. Uh, I read that he was one of the three most wealthy citizens of the city of Jerusalem. Guy had some money. He had, he had cheddar. He had, he had wealth, okay? So now we, we understand that he doesn't just have relationships. He doesn't just have uh, the, the religious thing going on, but he also had money in the bank, one of three, one of 71, one of 6,000. Oh, also, he was one of one when it came to respect, um, didn't see that in the Bible. Actually, you did. Notice again in verse 10, Jesus, when he made fun of him, because Jesus had a sense of humor, he said, are you the teacher? Notice he didn't say a teacher or a really good teacher or a highly respected teacher. He said, are you like the teacher? 
The idea being he was the preeminent leading voice in his day on spiritual topics. His lectures packed. His TED Talk highly clicked, right? He was the one everyone wanted to listen to on subjects that he came to Jesus seeking answers on. Which tells you why he came to Jesus by night, right? If you're the guy who, when, when you speak out on the topics of the meaning of life and how we got here and where to go from here, everyone's flocking to the lecture hall. Everyone's listening. Oh, did you hear what Nicodemus said? Oh, man, that was a good one. I love what Nicodemus, I've got to get his podcast. Oh, yeah, follow him on Instagram. That guy's a legend, right? Oh, he's, oh, he's so wealthy. He's on Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's one of 6,000, one of 71. He's one of three. He's one of one. Ah! And to see this guy talking to an itinerant preacher from a nowhere city with no pedigree, no connections, no credentials, didn't even go to college, was a carpenter, and everyone spent most of the time making fun of his parents and the virgin birth, right? Which really means Mary was shacked up with some dude and home, homie Joseph was cuckolded, right? And this whole thing, and, and, and everyone made fun of Jesus by saying stuff like, do you even know how to read? And to see Nicodemus coming to him, I'm sure with his, his trench coat pulled tightly around his neck, I'm sure with sunglasses and a hat on, I'm sure, yeah, do you want to meet at Starbucks? No, let's meet in the back alley behind the Safeway, right? He's like, I can't be seen talking to you. He's coming to him asking for answers of which he was the supposed expert on. Are you the teacher in Israel and you don't even know what is the most fundamental truth? And what fundamental truth is that? That's that man doesn't just need riches to be happy, doesn't just need relationships to be happy, doesn't just need respect to be happy. That's the last one, that he was one of one when it came to respect, but that we also need to be reborn. And that's the kicker, and that's the key thing, and that's the big enchilada, that we need to be reborn. And that's what Nicodemus found when he tried religion, tried money, tried connection, tried power, all the things that you think are going to make you happy, all the things that your friends think are going to make them happy, and that's why they're hoping to become insta-famous, and that's why they're hoping to become wealthy, that's why they're hoping to become connected, to make a difference, if they could just be known, then they'll finally feel happy. That's why they're hoping to be discovered. Yeah, well, I heard so-and-so was just eating at this restaurant. They get discovered by an agent. You should be a model. Oh, yes, you should be a model. And so that's why I'm always you know, dressed up way too much for the environment I'm in. Like, no, this is how I always eat. Like, you're eating, like, way too sexily. Like, oh, this is how I always eat my French fries. Like, because you think that's going to fill the void inside your heart. Nicodemus had those things, but was still unhappy. So he came to Jesus, and what he discovered, Jesus telling him was, bro, you need to be reborn. You need to be reborn. But to Nicodemus, who was on that age-old quest, that struck him as an impossible solution. Isn't it? An impossible solution? Well, well sure, Jesus. Everything would be great if I could just go back in my mother's womb and start all over again. Well, sure. <laughs> right? Oh, you're not happy? Well, duh, you just need to get born all over again. Mm, thank you. That's really helpful <laughs> advice. That's, well, suck that away for a rainy day. No, I meant something I can act on. I meant like a new teaching. That's why he said, you're a teacher come from God. Give me a new idea. And Jesus said, bro, you don't need a new idea. You need a new heart. You need a new start. You need a new soul. You need to be washed clean, clean, clean from your sins. You need God to breathe his spirit inside your heart. You need God to touch. You don't just need behavior modification. Yo, you need soul 
transformation. You need God to reach down inside of you and make you brand new, like a baby coming out into the world. You need to be born from above, not just the water that filled your mother's stomach when you were being, being carried to term, but the spirit of God to make you new, to activate new life in your heart, for God to take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh to make you brand new all over again. But it's an impossible solution. Because Nicodemus had read the same prophecy that Jesus is referencing from the book of Ezekiel about God giving you new birth, about the spirit like a wind doing the mysterious work of making you new. He's like, what do you think I'm a Pharisee for? Why do you think I've given my life over to the study of the law? That's what I want too. I want that more than you could ever possibly know. That's what I've given my whole life to. But now I'm an old man and I don't feel like I have it. I don't feel like I have it. I haven't found it in religion or in respect or in relationships or in, in any of these other things you think you would find it in. And Jesus says, well, you do, this is what you need. And Nicodemus is like, yeah, I know. And that's why Jesus tells him this is the most important part of the sermon. He said, yeah, that's, you're missing the most important part, the costly sacrifice. It can't happen because of your sins. And sin demands payment. And God in his love is still just. And he told us, the soul that sins shall surely die. Nicodemus, the problem is you're a sinner. And you cannot become brand new without someone or something paying for your sins. Either it's you or it's an innocent third party. But Jesus said, that's exactly what I've come for. And that's why he pointed him to the snake on the pole. And you're like, oh, this is getting weird. <laughs> First, we, we're reading about an old man trying to get born again. I toyed with calling this message walkers. And, and placentas. That was my first topic. I scratched it out because I didn't feel like it would be good for the first time guests, walkers and placentas. But, but that's really, it would be accurate and faithful to the text, really. Um, but first, you're talking about that. And I, I could get it. And, you know, the water and amniotic fluid, that's weird. But now you're talking about the solution is a snake on a pole. You're like, honey, get your purse. I told you we should have gone to the Baptist church, right? <laughs> so, so here's here's what's going on. Nicodemus wouldn't have been phased by it at all. Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's because he grew up steeped in the Jewish story. And the Jewish story involved this day where Moses was leading the people out of Egypt towards the promised land, translation out of bondage and sin, and towards a right relationship with God. And on the way, these snakes showed up because the people had been complaining. And so as a vivid portrayal of what sin brings, the people began to be uh, filled with the venom of the serpents and began to be moving towards death. In their dilemma, in their plight, they called out to Moses, who prayed to God, who heard, uh, Moses heard God saying, build a brass serpent and put it up above the people on a pole and tell everybody bit by the snake who's dying because of what sin brings, the wages of sin is death, look to the snake on the pole. If you'll look to the snake on the pole, you'll be saved. Now, can you imagine? This is how I read the Bible. Can you imagine? You're writhing on the ground because you just got bit by a snake. Pause. Top biggest fear ever. Like heights, don't care about it. Cramp quarters, fine. Give me a spider. I'll lick it. Don't care. But you put a snake on this stage, I will run screaming and kicking for the hills, right? So, so terrified of snake. So I'm dying of a snake bite, and someone's like, okay, Moses, Moses heard from God. Oh, praise God. Okay, what is it? He said that if you look at this awesome brass serpent he made, <laughs> don't have time. Snakes are the problem. Also, too soon. Like, I got yeah, uh, this guy can't help, can't possibly help. And you could persist in your argument that there's no way this could help. And guess what? You would die. 
Or you could think, well, this doesn't make any sense and I don't understand it, but I'm willing to obey and do something that seems stupid to me. And if I lift my eyes up to the snake on a pole, those who did that were healed. Those who were unwilling to, they died. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who's involved in this age-old dilemma of figuring out what he needed before the universal problem and, uh, of, of, of sin kicked in and he died and the whole quest was over, he hears, just like the snake was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. And guess what? Jesus Christ was lifted up from the earth on a pole. And the Bible says that as he was lifted up, if anybody would look to him, they would be saved. And listen to me very carefully. You could stand there on the ground with the venom of sin in your veins saying that doesn't make sense. There's no reason that should work. I've, I've read a thousand books. I know a PhD who said in this dissertation, you know what, you can, you're right. You're probably right. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. But listen to me very carefully. It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to work. It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to work. And the reason God picked it is because it doesn't make sense. It is foolishness. It defies the wisdom of the world. And it doesn't allow you to be the hero of the story. If he said, you go to the highest peak, 14,000 feet above, and pick a purple flower and smoke its essence, you would do it. And you'd be like, I'm Batman. But, but here's, here's the deal. God doesn't let you be the hero. You and I will always be the damsel in distress tied up on the train tracks. And it's Jesus lifted up on the pole. Jesus who died in your place. Jesus who rose from the dead. Jesus who loves you and will save you. Jesus who can fill the void inside your soul. Jesus who can give you life everlasting. Jesus who can save your family. Jesus who can work in your marriage. Jesus who wants to work in our world. Jesus who will be honored and glorified forever and ever, who's going to come back to the world he created to judge it. It's Jesus, always, only Jesus who gets the glory. And that's the power of the gospel. And that's the brutal razor's edge of the gospel. Because you can persist in the fact that you're right, that it doesn't make sense, but you're still going to die. Or you can believe in the foolishness of the gospel message that we've been commanded to preach. It's the only message given. Well, I don't like that there's only one way. It doesn't really matter what you like. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I like. Are we going to argue with God that he only sent one son? There's, there's, how about this? Let's not bury the lead. There's, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Well, there should be more ways to God. There's a way. Right. So let's take the way that he gave. If he gave five ways, OK, great. Pick your different way. He gave one son who died on one cross, who rose from the grave one time, and there's never been anybody else. No one else died for you. There wasn't a line of people queuing up to die for me. Was there, was there like 90 people who said, oh, I'll save your soul? No, no there's, there's one. God sent one son, and he loved you so much that son died for you. That's, that's, the, that's the precious gospel message. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. God doesn't want to ruin your life. He came to save it. He didn't, he didn't come to ruin your life. Like, God's such a killer. He didn't come to ruin your life. He came to save it. That's why he came to this world. I like how the message translation puts it. It says it this way. John 3.17, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger at you, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And I offer you as evidence of the fact that the gospel works. The life of Nicodemus started out looking at all the things that can't work, religion and relationships and connection and privilege, all that. And then he came to Jesus one night, and that was the night everything changed for him. And I don't know how, because it's like the wind. There's a mystery to it. I don't know how it's going to work for you. 
There's a mystery to it. It's the wind. But I know this, in Nicodemus' life, by the end, he was a different version of himself. Ashamed at the beginning, coming to him by night. How about by the end of the story when Jesus died and Joseph of Arimathea loaned him his grave? And Nicodemus, the Bible says, in John chapter 19, who at first came to Jesus by night, he also came publicly, courageously, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. That would cost a lot of money. That would be a bank. But Nicodemus took this exorbitant fund and anointed the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices. And then they laid it in the tomb as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So by the end of his story, the power of the second birth unleashed in his life. This man who was once afraid now proudly stood, not caring what any of the people he used to associate with thought of him as he proudly stood to honor Jesus, who had just given everything on the cross. And as Nicodemus looked at him hanging on the cross that day, did he not hear the words of Jesus reverberating through his heart? The Son of Man must be lifted up. And if he's lifted up, he will draw all people to himself, all people. You, me, none of us are so bad that we can't be forgiven. There's nothing you've ever done that God can't forgive. But there's not one of us that are so good that we don't need to be forgiven. Born again. That's a polarizing phrase, isn't it? The world doesn't really love that. Like, I'm a born say Say, say that at your next staff meeting, right? I'm born again, so just wanted to throw that out there. It's like people are like, oh. I don't mind if you, like, want to love God or whatever. But born again, that's the worst kind of Christian. Listen to me very carefully. This whole sermon is really encapsulated in this thought. Being born again isn't a special type of Christian. It's how you become one. And it's not optional. It's, it's the whole thing. It's being born on the inside by the Spirit of God. And God wants that for you. And that's why Jesus died. And if you today would turn to him in faith, he'll save you. He'll give you the promise of heaven, but he'll give you the power of living a life every day. I don't care how many seconds left on the clock, knowing that that God's alive inside of you and he's working in your story. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, but that very evening, he experienced the dawning of a brand new day. And that's what could happen to you. And that will change how you view the minutes counting down till midnight, where night becomes morning. That's the title of this message, where night becomes morning. Here's the the, the cool thing. When Jesus shows up in your night, when it becomes morning, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the final few minutes and hours of the clock, because if you've begun a new life, you don't need to cling to this one. You see? When when God gives you second birth, you've begun an entirely new life, an eternal life that goes on forever. So you don't have to worry about, how many hours do I have left? Oh, crap, give me some Botox, right? It's all ending. Ah! You don't need to try and look younger or strive to live longer. All you need to do is start over. And if you start over that eternal life, you'll no longer need to try and cling to this one as long as you can. You can have a freedom and a peace that whatever happens here in this life, fine, I'll enjoy it. I'll be blessed in it. There's work to do while it lasts. But I'm living an eternal life. I'm living a bigger story. I'm living out something brand new. All of heaven is mine. Eternity is ours. God is ours. He's in control. He is our life and the length of our days. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for what you spoke to Nicodemus and how it's true right now. 
You said, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. If you're here today as we're praying and you need to be born again, you need God to give you new life. I want to give you an invitation right now to make that decision, the decision Nicodemus made, the decision that I made. It's a decision that only you can make for yourself. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. I'm going to pray it out loud. I'm going to have the church family pray it with you. And I want you to say these words to God and mean them in your heart. Are you ready? Dear God, please come into my heart. I want to be born again. Please fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Give me a new heart. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. Now, with your head still bowed and eyes still closed, I want to give you a moment to sort of nail that down, to sort of raise a flag up over your soul. If you just made that decision and you're serious about following Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air. Every location, just shoot your hand up in the air on three. One, two, three. Shoot your hands up. Shoot your hands up all over the church. Thank you so much for watching this teaching from our Once a Man, Twice a Child series. For more from Fresh Life Church and to stay up to date, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking the link below.